We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey, hey, welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 44. I am so excited to share today's guest with you. This young professional show jumper has huge aspirations, and I have no doubt that she is going to get there. In fact, since we recorded our episode, she went to Live Oak International and showed her horse that she hadn't shown in a Grand Prix in about a year and a half, and they went double clear to secure a spot at the World Cup Finals in April. So excited to see her there in Las Vegas. But without further ado, let's hear from our guest, Adrian Sternlicht. I'm so happy that you were able to make it on the podcast today. Let's chat a little bit about how you came to riding and what what your story looks like leading up to now. Um, I started riding when I was six. My best friend, the Shulman, well, my best family friends, really, the Shulman family, uh, Sydney Shulman, obviously, I'm sure is a rider that a lot of people have heard of. Uh, her best friend, her older sister was my best friend growing up, and they had a 18-hand gelding in their backyard and I got on at a play date and sort of refused to get off and my parents knew they were screwed at that moment. (laughs) Had your parents ridden or had any experience with horses before? No and actually I used to ski competitively and when we leased my first pony I broke my arm subsequently after so my mom thought someone had to ride the pony and so she actually tried to ride but yeah (laughs) horses are not in my family whatsoever. Um, That didn't last very long. That's so funny. So you started riding at a young age and um, you did a lot in the pony divisions. Um, What was that transition like from when you started riding, like you, you started taking proper lessons at some point and then transitioned into showing um, and showing consistently. What was that like? And how was that like with your your parents and your schedule and kind of all those changes not being in a horse background? I think my parents were very foreign to it and uh, didn't really have friends who had um, who had done it or had kids who sure. had grown up in it. I started riding with a local trainer and then I wasn't going to Florida for the winter. Um, and he was, and so that's actually how I started at heritage farm and I never left there. So I kind of was a snowbird spend the winter. Well, I guess that doesn't make me a snowbird, does it? But anyways, <laughs> I, I spent, I spent the winter riding up North and yeah, I think my part of sort of what's like informed my riding career was that I really didn't ride seriously as a junior. Um, not really, not because I didn't want to, but my parents really stressed that I was well-rounded. Um, I played squash and I skied competitively and yeah, there were a variety of factors that kept me from, you know, being homeschooled down here, being a really competitive junior rider as, you know, so many of my peers were. Wow. Yeah. So what was your, I guess, like reaction to taking a step back from riding? Like, were you so mad at your parents? Were you just like, oh yeah, I feel like you're right. I mean, how did that, how did that go? I was okay with it. You know, I was definitely envious when I would come down here and I would see, because I had so many of my peers were surpassing me. Like uh, I rode at Heritage with Reed and we grew up Mm -hmm. in the morning together and, you know, she was jumping the Olympic trials and I was jumping meter 20. So I I was very content with 
school and always engage, very engaged in sort of my academics and also in extracurriculars at school. I, you know, was on the newspaper. I started my own literary magazine, things like that. But I also, you know, whenever I did, I always, you know, I had the bug for it. Um, and once I um, got into university, uh, my parents let me said, okay, you can pursue writing. Um, and, you nice. know, I actually haven't played squash since. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So at what point, I mean, all the way through school, were you like, okay, once I graduate, I'm like doing this for sure. I mean, w- at what point was it something that you knew you wanted to do? Uh, you mean high school or college? Probably by college, you were already there. So I, I guess in high school, when, while, during your break. Yeah, um, my parents, um, I had a deal with them in my school, the school I went to Choate Rosemary Hall, which is a boarding school in upstate Connecticut, and it's pretty academically rigorous. So I knew I couldn't really keep up with my workload and be showing all the time as well as wash season overlapped with my riding season. So during the winter, so I would come down here four or five weekends a year. Um, and I was always really curious if I dedicated more of my time and, you know, emotional, physical energy to it, what, um, I could do once I, again, once I got in, I was like, all right, no more excuses. Mm -hmm. Uh, time to try it. Awesome. Looking back, are you happy with the route you kind of took to get to where you are today? Yeah. Yeah. I think for a while I felt like I was playing catch up because I didn't do any equitation. And Mm -hmm. I think so much about that I am envious of the prestige of winning a final or something like that. It's more so um, I recognize the incredible foundation that that's given so many riders. Um, Lily Keenan rides uh, with uh, me with McLean Ward. Um, and, you know, she had thousands more hours in the saddle than I did mm-hmm. growing up. Um, and so, uh, of course, you know, I wouldn't have changed my upbringing. Um, I feel really fortunate um, to have sort of like a well-rounded vantage point, I think, on the sport in many ways. Yeah, there's definitely, I think, those, you know, repetition is the key to knowledge. And I definitely am envious that I um, yeah. missed on all those flat lessons and equitation lessons. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's definitely seemed to be working for you regardless. And you're um, a great example of the fact that if with, you know, enough hard work and dedication and the right mindset, you can really get to um, where you want to go. And it's been really cool to kind of see your professional career um, and how that's been blossoming. At what point did you start working with McLean Ward? And, And tell me a little bit about that process? Yeah. So I actually first trained with McLean. I was terrified of him growing up. <laughs> terrified. Um, and it's funny because he looks back on that and he said, you know, I agreed to help you because you're always nice. You're always a nice kid. And uh-huh. he said, hi, hello, please. Thank you. And I was like, there's no way you must be mistaking me for someone else because there's no way I ever spoke to you. I was competing at Devon. Um, I was working with Linda Langmeyer and she had a family emergency and wasn't able to be there. So she asked McLean to sub in for her the first day or two. Um, And I was surprised at how well we got along and how much I enjoyed working with him. Mm -hmm. Um, He's very direct, um, quite blunt, a bit aggressive in some ways. 
um, and has sort of like zero tolerance for bullshit. I think I can. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, so in so many ways, we we got along really well. Um, And then I sort of signed on with him. I started training with him a bit the winter before um, the Olympics for him. So I guess that I started with him in the winter of 2016. But I knew that he wouldn't take me on full time as a student until after the Olympics. Um, So as I graduated in 2016, so I kind of spent that summer showing locally. And then once he came home from Rio, I moved to stable. Cool. So working with someone like McLean, how, I mean, cause obviously he is, you know, working on his career and obviously he was getting ready for the Olympics at the time. How does that work for you? And, and, you know, for the listeners uh, listening, as far as working with someone like that, I mean, obviously you were able to work with him in that kind of like initial show at Devon, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So then how did that transition? I mean, obviously he only has time for X amount of students to really put focus on. Was there any type of like tryout process or, you know, some conversations that need to be had? I mean, what did that kind of look like? Yeah. Yeah, of course. He, from the beginning was quite blunt about, he said, look, I'm my first priority. And Mm -hmm. my has come first. And, you know, once I've taken care of my priorities, I will always help and support you to the best of my ability. But, you know, my own career comes first. And I actually really appreciated that um, because I think um, there's so many juggling acts that, uh, you know, top riders, trainers perform. um, And I think oftentimes people feel that things are, you know, uh, promised and maybe not fulfilled, or we have, you know, unrealistic or different expectations of the people that we work with. Um, so I really appreciated the fact that, you know, he made, there were no illusions about the the way we would work together. That being said, he runs everything in such an organized fashion, mm-hmm. um, that there really is there, there's really no loophole. So he's very, very, um, disciplined in how he conducts his day to day. And I think that that allowed for us to be able like allowed for enough time for us to work together. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also very good at delegating. Um, he has Lee McKeever, his bar manager, who is, you know, among the best horsemen in the world, um, you know, managing the care of his horses. Um, and yeah, so I think at the beginning, I, I mean, I was definitely, I started stabling at Castle Hill, in September of 2016, I was definitely a little bit freaked out to be around, um, you know, his incredible, incredibly professional team and also all his horses that were like yeah. celebrities to me. Totally. You were probably just like, don't mess up. Don't mess up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I wanted to impress him and wanted to stay out of the way a bit. So, you know, it's a combination of factors. It's always you know, something new to get used to someone's a new person's program. Totally. What does a normal day look like for you guys at home? Um, in Florida or in, yeah, in Florida? Home? Okay. Um, well, in Florida, it really, it changes a lot as the season goes on because at the beginning of the winter, the horses are quite fresh. I mean, all the horses really, with the exception of Crystalline, who is coming back from an injury, you know, had been off for the month of December. So typically when I'm not competing, I'll ride like 
you know, six or seven a day, sometimes more, just depending on what time allows for. Um, I actually don't staple with McLean at home. I have my own farm at home now. And then um, I don't, he doesn't have room for uh, Lily or I here. So we stable on our own and then we sort of coordinate a schedule. So either I'll organize to jump one with him or jump on my own. And then when I'm competing, I always prioritize the horses that are competing that day, um, what sort of preparation they need for their classes. Um, and then um, there are a few horses, you know, who maybe aren't showing that week who I will try to also squeeze in time to ride. Sure. Um, it's really, you know, it's, it's a method of, you know, prioritizing what's competing and then, yeah, what's at home. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I mean, being at back and forth um, at WEF with my clients this winter and I would see you show and I'd see McLean show. How does that work? And, and kind of who is a part of your team to help you out at the ring, let's say in situations where McLean is showing his horses? Yeah. Yeah. At this point, um, I'm very comfortable showing on my own. I've gone to a lot of shows by myself and then and he actually, he gets angry if I don't tell him if he's, you know, busy at another ring and I <laughs> give him enough of a heads up when I'm going, he's like, what do you mean you didn't tell me? <laughs> so, um, that's one thing I actually, even though sometimes I don't want to bother him, mm-hmm. uh, I have a barn, a stable manager. I actually have a couple who, um, uh, works with me and they're unbelievable. They've been with me for, <sighs> Uh, almost three years. Um, and they know my horses inside out and yeah, I'm just as comfortable doing it with them than I am with him to be candid. Of course, it's always nice for the, the bigger classes and then those really pivotal moments to have him there. Totally. Yeah. Okay, quick break to talk about Platinum Performance. Since Adrian is a sponsored rider for this company, it only made sense to have them be the sponsor for her episode. At Platinum Performance, they believe that being your best doesn't happen overnight. It takes passion, dedication, hard work, and the right nutrition to reach your goals. For over 20 years, Platinum Performance has been improving the lives of horses by impacting health at the cellular level through advanced nutrition. No matter what personal achievements we seek, the love and care for our horses starts from a place deep inside of all of us. Platinum Performance, it starts within. All right, let's get back to the episode. Tell me a little bit about Crystalline because I feel like that is um, such a special bond and such a special horse and would love to kind of hear about uh, the story of how she came into your life. Yeah, so I remember watching World Cup Finals um, in 2016. She jumped as an eight-year-old and and I was, again, I just started working with McLean and I was at his farm one day schooling and I asked him, I said, did you see that that?" Australian horse at World Cup Finals was so amazing. He's like, yeah, you and everyone else saw it. <laughs> and and I remember um, a few, you know, the people thought that the horse was sold, was secured for di- for various different people, actually. Um, and um, nothing ended up panning out. And so he actually called me about the horse and he said, I think there's an opportunity here. And mm-hmm. I wrote my parents this crazy email. Like I was sitting in the library, senior spring at Brown, where I went to school. And I was like, this would be my pipe dream, this horse. <laughs> I can't even imagine like this would be the greatest thing that had ever happened. Blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. We're really yep. not 
interested. And so then it sort of got to a, a pivotal time for her previous owners, um, Gabby Kuna and Chris Chug, who were flying back to Australia. They um, always come over. Uh, Chris is uh, very experienced. He's been to the Olympics, to World Equestrian Games, and to several World Cup finals, and he does an unbelievable job producing horses. And they were flying back to Australia, and they knew that the horse had like an unbelievable sporting career ahead of her. So either they sold her there because it didn't really make sense to bring her back to Australia. Sure, sure. Um, so I remember uh, trying her. Um, I was totally freaked out. Yeah, what was the trial like? Yeah, yeah. She's she's funny. Like if you jump small jumps at home, she doesn't over jump them. She's obviously such an exuberant jumper in the ring, but like she just kind of falls over them. And I was almost I'd never ridden something with so much power. So um, it took me a second to trust uh, how much power she had. Um, but I was totally in love with her, even though I probably didn't ride her that well in our trial. Um, but, uh, I got along really well with Gabby Kuna, um, who had bought her as a four year old out of, um, the prime selection sales auction in Germany. Um, and she and Chris had produced her. And I think it was really important to Gabby that the horse went to someone who, would really love and adore her the way that she had. Um, and yeah, we formed an immediate bond, I would say, both Gabby and I and me and the horse. And it was like the day she arrived in America. I'm Jewish, but it was like <laughs> my equivalent of like Christmas overload, you know? It was yeah. like, it was like every, it was the best day. And then, yeah, it took me again, uh, she was only eight. Um, and so she had so much raw potential um, that she had showcased at World Cup finals. But I think she was still developing a lot. She was changing in her body um, and she was quite sensitive. And um, yeah, there was a lot to work on, as I think there is with every every young horse. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, our partnership sort of grew together. Um, so many of my firsts were with her. My first... Um, I think my first, you know, Nations Cup team was with her, um, obviously the WAG. And uh, yeah, she's she's more than a horse to me. I mean, I could go on and on about her. <laughs> um, she's like by far my best friend in the world. And um, and I don't really feel like I'm riding a horse when I'm with her because she's just kind of like my other half, I would say. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she's actually making her... Her World Cup debut this weekend, we're competing at the uh, Live Oak. Um, she's going to jump the Grand Prix on Sunday there. Amazing. Uh, yeah, so I'm super excited. It's been it's been a long time, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How long was she uh, off for? She was, she was injured at WEG, and then it took us, like, after WEG. Um, and then it took us um, a little bit to diagnose her. Um, and then she started working in April of, uh, 2019, but we really took our time. Um, and then she began jumping again in December. So it's been about a year and a half since she jumped a Grand Prix. Wow. Oh, that's so exciting though. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited. So cool. So you have been bringing her back. Is there aspirations? I know that uh, there's talk about, uh, the World Cup finals this year in April. What's your kind of plan and mindset for that? 
I'm jumping her this week because in order for a horse to compete at World Cup finals, um, they have to have jumped one round, one World Cup finals have to have completed one course. So hopefully, sure. I don't, yeah, hopefully I don't <laughs> fall off. <laughs> That's the goal. Um, yeah, perfect. And um, then uh, my plan would be to use her in conjunction with um, another horse of mine at World Cup finals. Um, but again, plans are always subject to change. So that's sort of totally. what, I, what I'm going into the year hoping. And then obviously, um, you know, my big goal for her is the Olympics. If there were ever, if I ever thought I had a shot, um, it, it's with her. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, she's a horse who's given me more than I ever dreamed was possible. And, um, I have like all the confidence in the world that um, we can do whatever we want together. So uh, yeah, it should be an exciting pressure filled next few months. (laughs) Yeah, I would say I'm excited. I'm headed uh, to the world cup finals too with FEI. So amazing. Yeah, exactly. I would love to see you two go around. It'd be so fun. So tell me a little bit about, I mean, obviously, yeah, looking, looking on to world cup finals, looking on to the Olympics, what does that kind of uh, process look like for you mentally, physically, and then just the like the raw like stats and hoops you have to jump through to get to that point? Yeah, so I, I've been trying to live by this ethos of if not now, then when um, this year um, in terms of uh, just my approach to writing. Um, putting, you know, my objectives over like whatever anxieties I have in the moment. Um, and I've been working with a mental coach for the past, um, two and a half years. Um, and so he's been pushing me to live what he calls like an Olympic lifestyle. Um, and so, um, I think uh, personally that's been looking at refining the way that I conduct my day to day, um, even my patterns of sleep, um, my nutrition exercise regimen. Um, uh, yeah, so I've definitely been wanting to push myself a bit. I think especially, um, I ran a half marathon in the fall. Um, and so I trained a lot for that and that sort of gave me a, um, like a near term goal, because I think in the fall, I was feeling a little bit frustrated. Like I so badly want, you know, I can't do anything to bring the horse back quicker, but I want right. to preparing myself. And what does that look like? So it sort of gave me a, a more near term goal and something, um, that I could, uh, train towards. Um, and then, um, in terms of the crazy horse preparation, um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, my, my hope is first to be long listed, right? So that's sort of the first step. Um, and, um, I think we have a good shot of, uh, making the long list. Um, but, uh, I have to go well at world cup finals, mm-hmm. uh, for that to happen. Um, so that's sort of my first goal. First was to come out of WEF alive because <laughs> my McLean has me so every week. Oh my gosh. Well, you're so close. A few more weeks. I know, I know, I know. It's been pretty good, you know, but it's funny. Yeah. Like it's, it's such a marathon in so many ways, but you also really want to take a moment, uh, you know, to feel like the gravity of, you know, each class and, and, um, but also not take anything too seriously. So I think that's such a process, but right. 
Um, Let me segue really quick. I want to talk about that because I feel like there's always talk, which is completely valid about keeping horses healthy through the Wellington circuit. It's, you know, week after week after week and footing and, you know, all of that um, comes into consideration. How do you, I mean, you were just saying it's like a marathon. So, I mean, I guess working with your uh, coach that you're able to really kind of uh, package yourself in an all, like you're mentally healthy, you're physically healthy through exercise and through your diet. I mean, that must make a huge difference for you with all of those 12 weeks of WEF. Yeah. I think one thing that makes the biggest difference is that, um, at the beginning of circuit, it's always, I always take a little bit of a break in December and go away with my family and I come back feeling really energized. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think, look, like I'm a very competitive person. And I think, you know, the season in many ways can wear on you. Um, McLean is very organized and we have always a, at least a pretty concrete plan for the first six weeks of WEF, but normally a tentative plan through all of WEF sure. um, before we start competing, uh, planning what horses will jump at what events. Um, and so that definitely gives me a little bit of solace in um, going into the winter. But um, I, in previous winters, I found myself at this point I haven't taken a week off yet. So it's, and I'm not injured. Yeah. Um, which is just, um, I get tired, you know, and I realize that like, I have to sleep more. Um, I'm never been, um, super social here or, um, you know, somebody who, um, is really, I guess, yeah. Yeah. Present in the Wellington scene. Sure. Um, but, and I always, always wondering to myself, why do I get so tired halfway through the winter? Um, <laughs> it's really just realizing that like, I have a finite amount of energy, um, mentally and physically, um, th- every day, um, and finding ways to fill that reservoir. Um, mm-hmm. and also realizing that, you know, something has to give and there's certain compromises that have to be made. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like a continual process of learning that I definitely haven't mastered it. Um, but I feel like every year I learn something new about what I need, um, to be at, you know, as close to peak performance as much as I can as an athlete. Yeah, totally. And I don't know about you, but I'm 27 and I feel like I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm starting to like feel it. And yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I used to ride 10 a day and it would be fine. And it's like, yeah. I kind of feel it now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, totally. And I'm someone who I would like, I love the whole, like, I love workout classes, like Barry's mm-hmm. bootcamp, you know, like when someone's yelling at you to go faster, things like that. Totally. And I think I'm constantly struggling between that balance of like, you know, push yourself, work through it know the discipline of that and also like you have to give yourself a moment right and know Mm. when you need a moment and I think that again it's like learning to strike a balance between the two is something that's such a practice yeah totally yeah days off and breaks are can be so hard but um definitely part of the process for sure so sorry I distracted you let's go back to um Olympic mindset and preparation yeah yeah so my in terms of uh, the horse's preparation, there are um, four observation events. Um, each rider will jump two um, in the spring in Europe, um, pending the coronavirus keeps, I know. Uh, you know, allows us to go. Yeah. Um, 
And um, then the team is chosen June 20th. So, I mean, uh, my goal for the winter really um, was to ride, you know, work on my riding as much as possible, be as consistent as I can with my other horses, um, you know, without having peaks and valleys in my levels of performance. Um, and so far it's been pretty good. Um, and I realized, you know, staying at a, at a sort of mental equilibrium is the most important. Um, and it's definitely, it's been taxing at moments because, you know, I have my, my best horse coming back and, um, you want to be, you know, you want to stand out, you want to shine as, as an athlete, you know, you want, um, to be thought of as a contender for the Olympics. And I really, I know what's most important for us is what's coming up, um, in the next month or so. Um, yeah, so, so really, you know, this is our, my time. And I know I always remind myself when I get anxious, I'm like, if I can't handle this moment, how do I think I'm going to handle walking into the ring in Tokyo? Right. right. So, so whether or not that ends up being my reality, I think it's, a useful way to frame the moment and also, you know, to put whatever my objective or my goal is, you know, in front of my anxieties and and that feeling of pressure. Totally. Yeah, exactly. So something I always try to ask my guests, um, if there's an area of the industry that you work within that you're particularly passionate about, that you feel like the rest of the industry doesn't either know a lot about or doesn't talk a lot about. And I feel like for from kind of like what we've been talking about today, um, it seems like just kind of the overall kind of like holistic health um, and mental mindset are, um, are, you know, a big focal point for you and your riding and your success. Um, I mean, would, would that be something that you feel like? I mean, do you feel like there are a lot of other people in similar shoes as you that have that mental focus, or is that something in the industry that um, is a little bit more uh, challenging to to attain, I guess? Yeah, I think that everyone has their own way of coming at the sport and and how they prepare. So I think that's been one of my greatest realizations is that what I do is not necessarily right or wrong or better or worse than what anyone else does to get them to the place that they want to ride from. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, um, one of my closest friends, uh, Jesse Springsteen, she's super relaxed and will have her helmet off when she's 12 out. Whereas <laughs> I, you know, by the time I'm 12 out for a big Grand Prix have meditated, am organized, you know, I've, yep you know, have been through this whole mental processes that, um, is not maybe something that would be productive for her before she goes. So again, it's not what's right or wrong. It's what's like finding right, what's right for you. Um, but that being said, um, I do think that there is an opportunity within the sport, um, uh, to educate, um, people more about the outlets and the resources that we have, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of, um, improving our mental performance and mental health. Um, Wellington is a fishbowl in so many ways. And for instance, I'm not competing here this week. I'm driving to live Oak, uh, tomorrow, but, um, you know, of course I'm still checking the results, looking at how other people are doing and horses are doing how how things are going and and it's so easy to use to see other people's 
you know, successes or, you know, you know, places for improvement. I don't want to say failures. I don't believe in that. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, as a proxy for where you're at. Um, and I think that, um, a lot of people in the sport still think, oh, you work with a mental coach. Like, well, you know, my mental game has never been bad and Mm -hmm. I'm, my mental game isn't, isn't bad either. I do it because I want to be as good as I can. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think there's also, and like I said, an opportunity in this sport where I think a lot traditionally, um, while we use a lot of different muscles and it's not necessary in many ways to train like a, you know, NBA player. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there is some power in, in sort of the discipline that, that day to day pushes you towards. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, um, this fall I had a really telling conversation with my mental coach where he said to me, I was all frustrated because I was like, you know, I'm more committed than I've ever been. And I'm training for this half marathon and I ran eight miles before the Grand Prix today. And why aren't I doing better? You know, (laughs) and literally that was like, you know, me, my bratty self being like, but why? And, um, he sort of said to me, he was like, look, performance is a luxury and it's your fundamentals are not strong enough. And until you really improve and work on those fundamentals, he's like, it doesn't matter how you do in the ring. It forced me to take a step back. And so he talks again about my, you know, my, my meditation practice. We talk about a bit exercise, you know, what I do every day besides riding, what I eat every day, how I, you know, inspire and engage my mind and how I sleep. And I think all those things, you know, have the ability to play a factor in the way that we show up in the world, whether it's for horses or something else. And so in so many ways, uh, my own experience through the sport has been a vehicle for me to like, you know, understand how I can really like be a better human. You never stop learning when working with horses and they teach us so much about ourselves. Yeah, that's so true. I love that. I think that the industry has gotten better in terms of seeing a need for mental health. Um, But I feel like before it used to be like kind of like what you were touching on, like, oh, you use a mental coach, you like there must be something wrong or like something that you are not doing right. At the end of the day, at the at the very least, the mental coaching and kind of the holistic view of training is is like you said going to make you a better human, and and hopefully that translates also to uh, performance as well. And so I think that that's so cool that that is becoming more of a known thing and more um, just like an all encompassing, helpful way to improve on your health and and your riding. So I love that you touched on that and that that is part of your everyday lifestyle and your training. But Adrian, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to hop on the podcast today. You have been such an inspiration. I can't wait for everyone to hear about your story. And I hope to see you in Las Vegas, but I wish you all the best. Thanks so much, Bethany. I'll talk to you soon. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.